Welcome to the Jay Morton Podcast. We're back with episode four of the Jay Morton Podcast. I just want to say a massive thanks for all the feedback so far. It's always good to hear of your successes and how my book Soldier has had an impact on those. Today I'm going to be joined by our very special guest. He's an explorer, a TV presenter, a soon-to-be author and an all-round man of the world, Aldo Kane, who can definitely talk about today's subject of danger with plenty of experience from his own life adventures. But before we get into it, a big shout out, as always, goes to our sponsors, Harley Davidson. I've had an exciting week with Harley this week, as I've had the privilege of being one of the first people in the UK to try out their new adventure motorcycle, the Panamerica. We spent a day in Wales riding on and off road with guidance from British Dakar rider, Mick Extens. You can see what we got up to on my socials and find out more about the bike at Harley Davidson dot com forward slash adventure but now let's get into the podcast and welcome mr aldo kane aldo kane welcome my friend how are you hello i'm good mate i'm good sorry about the delay do you like my artwork i'm uh currently in quarantine out in the azores mate spain uh it's sounds, sounds, sounds tropical i'm going to show my lack of geography skills here it's Portuguese. It's uh, a Portuguese um, settlement, which is right slap bang in the middle of the Atlantic. Um, oh, like an, so an island. Yeah, yeah. So the Azores are like a collection of islands, which are, um, I'm not sure how far off the coast of Portugal, but they're, they're like, when you look at the map between, um, like if you look between Portugal and South America sort of thing, they're like right in the middle. Um, are you, are, you, are, so, you getting, are you getting there? typically british question but are you getting better weather than we are right now it's i just said to um anna that she was asking what the weather was like um and i was like it's pretty much like being um up in scotland it's four seasons in one day here um just because you're you're like it's it's a volcanic mountainous sort of lump in the middle of the ocean so it gets like it's being smashed by the sea on all sides um and it gets the sun obviously we're in tropical climates so um but it, yeah it's like it's like being on the cairngorm plateau half the time that's no good <laughs> mate that's no good um <laughs> what, what are you doing out there Aldo? um we've got I'm, I'm working on a project called ocean x which is um it's a big nat geo um, BBC Studios, James Cameron sort of collab um, with the Ocean Explorer, which is um, a big ocean-going scientific research vessel, um, which is called Ocean X. So the film's called Ocean Explorers for Nat Geo. And um, basically, we we head out into the ocean. This is the second mission. Um, and we spend two months um, just basically using and utilising all the assets on board the ships so we've got two submarines i can see it, it's just i'm in quarantine now for for another six days but i can see the boat just over there it's about 400 meters away freedom is um, it is it free or not freedom <laughs> oh not freedom yeah right there's there's freedom between here and getting on the boat yeah but um yeah i mean it's 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 just you know it's a massive sort of set piece about about the state of the oceans and um and I, and I guess it's a sort of call to arms to the younger generation who who might a watch it and be inspired about conservation, but also uh, you know about uh, making science uh, you know uh, available for everyone because it's for a long time been out of reaches of you know of people like me you know I, there was no way that I would you know have ever imagined that I'd be on this ship I'm I'm sharing you know, the ship with some seriously huge brains, you know, best in their field at, at oceanography and marine biology and, and everything that goes with it. But um, the plan is, is, you know, that to make it accessible, to inspire the next generation of explorers, scientists, adventurists, um, just to get out there and, and, and start, start checking out the planet. Yeah, it's crazy how, um, how we were brought up as kids and you had, I know the internet wasn't a thing, like education on TV wasn't that great. Our school education probably wasn't, or maybe maybe wasn't as good as what it is now. But in terms of in terms of the earth and the world, and even you know, even I think of you know, I didn't get loads at Christmas, but all those toys that um, 
parents buy their kids at Christmas and birthdays that are made of plastic. They're pretty much single use plastic because most of them break after three, you know, I don't know, three weeks of a child throwing it around. But, you, you know, you had no education on exactly what all that stuff, like how bad all that stuff was for the environment and the oceans. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm a conservationist, I suppose, by like a sort of segue, sidestep into it from the job that I do, you know, traveling the world. And, and you know, some might say it's, it's part of the problem, which, you know, is we, we have to be so much more aware of our, our like footprint now. And, and I think we are, you're right to say, that, you know, I think we are the first generation that's ever been aware of what we are actually like what happens you know as as a result of the thing that we've bought or the thing that we've made or the thing that we've done um you know the generations before us you kind of didn't really didn't really think about it um so i think you know you i and kids sort of or my kid you know i've just had a, a kid i think they'll be you know we'll be the ones that are living in in this time when the things that we've been doing for the last x amount of 100 years are actually having an effect and it's it's hard, you know, with the amount of travel that I do, it's hard to to ignore it. You know, I, I did a lot of expeditions over there. As you have, you know, you, you go to these mm. sort of far off places and you, you speak to people and, you know, the fishing's different, you know, you know, or non-existent because there's now mercury in the rivers from gold mining, illegal gold mining, or um, there's just, you know, the rains are at a different time of year. The rivers are low. There's no rivers. There's too much water and you, you kind of you kind of get to see it and then you kind of get to think actually shit I need to you know I need to be you know, I, at least try and, and change some habits it's, it's yeah it's a massive subject isn't it and you know I could get massive and, subject, yeah. get, get, get shot down in lots of ways for the travel that we do but for, for example on but it's, the, it's, it's almost it's necessary travel though because you're you know, you're finding out these discoveries that are essentially going to change people's habits back in their own countries, whether it's reduced travel, whether it's, you know, single-use plastics, you know, whatever it is, recycling. Um, you're the guys that are at the front of this, finding that research out to feed it back. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. I, I mean, I guess when you when you see it like that, it's then, you know, you, you kind of think when you go to a shop and oh, oh, when you order something online and it comes wrapped in a plastic bag and you just think, you know, like it never used to be 50 years ago. It didn't used to be wrapped in a plastic bag. And half the time you've got something wrapped in a plastic bag and then wrapped in another plastic bag. And it's, you know, there's no consideration. But um, yeah, I mean, not getting on a, a, a rant about sort of, uh, <laughs> conservation, but, <laughs> but, I like but we that. like. I like what Africa did. Um, I think Ke um, definitely Kenya banned, banned plastic bags. Yeah, I, I've I've travelled through Rwanda three or four times, and it it utterly blows my mind. You know, it's a, it's a country that's that's had a huge amount of of its own problems over the years. Um, but certainly, with regards to plastic bags, you know, you can't even fly into the country with a plastic bag in your kit. Oh. You know, your kit gets checked for for plastic bags, so there is no that's plastic crazy, isn't it? Yeah, there's, there's, and <laughs> that, that almost there like a, there's like a separate security uh, part where you go through, get checked for guns, explosives, all that kind of stuff, and then you go through the plastic bag one. But I mean, it is is equally as dangerous for the planet as as yeah, all the rest fair. of it. But 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 I mean, they they you know they pretty much banned it overnight um and it's you know it's one of those things that you know like another thing there you know they last saturday of every month in rwanda you know everyone comes out and and cleans up their street their borough their sort of neighborhood sort of thing so but anyway uh yeah i mean it's you, you just think in the uk you could seriously ban plastic bags overnight you could ban it but there's, there's just too much politics in the way yeah like um I know we're gonna we're off on the segue of environmentalism at the minute, but um, I, I I live out in the countryside and I'll go and do like a walk in the morning, and um like even just up here, right? Because all the rubbish that's thrown out into the countryside here is off the road, so it's people that are driving down, winding the window down, and lobbing their rubbish out. And I've noticed right that it's the same rubbish that gets lobbed out. In, in, in any countryside setting, it's always 
like cigarette packets, uh, cans of pop, like Fanta, Coke, um, all that kind of stuff. It's crisp packets, it's chocolate bar packets. It's basically everything that's bad for you gets thrown out. You don't, you never find, right? You never find like on, an organic peanut butter jar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a, uh, that... correl- there's a massive correlation, right, between people looking after themselves and people looking after the planet. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a hard one. I like with people throwing stuff out out the car, like I'll have a pop. Um, oh, yeah. if, I'm, if, sure. if I'm driving and, and I see someone doing it, then I'll, I'll carefully pull up next to them and, and have a pop at them about it. You know, it's, it, it's basics, man. It's just like take it and put it in the bin. I, I was it's, up. Um, it's that thing, right? It's like, it's like, uh, you put in, you put it on the ground, right? It's, you're expecting someone else to clean up your shit. That's yeah. like a metaphor in life. Yeah, I, 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 I used to work in um, when I left the Marines. I worked in a school for a few years doing this thing called Skill Force, and it was like you used to work with the, the kids that were borderline about to be kicked out for not not specifically because they were bad, but they didn't like fit the system. Um, and it was all military people, and we chat to them about why they'd throw litter away, and, and it, it genuinely didn't cross their minds. They just thought that someone else would pick it up. So it's not necessarily like, you know, people are thinking, I um, can't wait for someone to pick this up. It's just like that person's got a job to do that. But you, yeah. like, it's, it, I, I, I was out with um, Anna on the on the downs up in Bristol, and it was like when the first lockdown ended, and there was just shit everywhere and uh we just finished eating a pizza and we were like should we try it and see what it's like just to get up and leave a uh, two bottles of beer and like the pizza wrappers <laughs> in and we're, we're, <laughs> it's mega chad but we we were like right let's do it right let's get one two three up and then just start walking away and you're like you can't do it how can how can anyone like do it and not but they must obviously not think about it it's just like a lack of education probably i think it's a massive lack of education um I don't know. It's just a lack of, I don't know, like having that lack of respect for the, for the earth. It's the same down here on the beach in the summer, um, especially last year, because everyone comes down to Bournemouth and piles onto the beach and everyone left. And it, it was it was shocking, right? You expect a few bags, you expect a few you know, beer bottles, beer cans, whatever to be left over. But you were literally right. In every square metre or every square two metres, there was... A bag, so you know they'd taken they'd taken the time, right, to what they were finishing, whether it was a throwaway barbecue, cans of beer, or whatever. They put it into a bag, sealed the bag up, but left the bag. Uh, yeah, I know. I, yeah, I, I, I do. It, like, I'm mega bad for it. Like when I see people doing it, I'll just have a have a go at them and just say, "Who's picking your shit up for you?" Yeah. I kind of have to like not get in a scrap over over litter now, like an actual fist fight. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doing time get... for lip for, for having to go to litter dropper L- litter abuse. Yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, all good. So that's what we're doing. We're out. Um, out. Uh, we're just about to board the ship in about four days' time, and then we'll be away for six weeks, back for three or four, and then away for another six, and then that's it in the bag sort of thing are you are you going down in in the vessel in the submarine yeah have you been in one before nah i mean i've it's, been yeah i've been in like a big military a big not, sub. nothing like that yeah yeah they, like i'd never been in one until that last uh job there so on the ship on the ocean explorer they uh, the sub team there um is run by a guy called buck um and they they're all ex nearly all ex-British naval um, sub-rescue guys. So they're like mega qualled up and just, you know, to be in the sub with them is is epic. And you, you kind of like, you know, when you're diving or you're skydiving, right, you're, you're completely in control of all your systems, right? Your life support system is in your hands. You, you just know when to pull, you know your reserve drills or like you're diving on your rebreather, whatever, you know, like the systems that you go through. But when you're in a sub, you literally... You know you're a passenger and uh it's it's quite it's a, it's a quite an eerie feeling they're made of acrylic i think it is like it's a, a two-piece acrylic um dome that's put together and then everything else is bolted on round about it 
um, and they go down to about a thousand meters. Um, so wow. it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's. How and, long does I mean, it take to get down to a thousand meters? I think they're going down. They can go down fairly. I'm, I may get this wrong, but it's like an hour or two um, to get down. And essentially, in the sub is um, like on a rebreather or on the old military rebreathers on you know, on the chest. You got the scrubber. They've basically got the same scrubber, which is lime um, crystals, and it just when you breathe out, it then scrubs the CO two out of your um, expelled breath and then it occasionally pumps in a bit of oxygen so you, you're effectively inside a big rebreather um <laughs> but yeah it's like you know and, and you know from what i could gather it seems like most of the stuff is mechanical you know when you're on the bottom and you want to get to the top you blow your cylinders the gas expands in these expansion cylinders and you come back up but um they're, they're, they're like truly amazing it's like proper james bond sort of stuff and that ship is, you know, it's well documented now, the Ocean Explorer, but it has um, two of these subs, uh, Triton subs, I think they are, and, and a helicopter, three or four boats on their ROV with a 6,000 metre cable on it. So it's it's like mega well equipped uh, for doing that sort of stuff. Super cool. What, what, are, you, what are you finding? Like what's, what's it like being a thousand metres down? I take it you're, you're on you're on light systems and it's complete darkness. Um, yeah. it, are, are you on the, on the surface of the ocean floor or are you sat floating? I'm, I'm verging on the territory of, of uh, marine biologists and scientists here. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> way above my pay grade. Yeah. Um, effectively, the, the subs have got, um, these subs have got a depth limit of a safe working sort of limit of, of about a thousand meters so they will always try and and dive where they've got a hard stop of of seabed at that so that they couldn't for whatever reason fall past that and they usually dive in in pairs um but yeah they, they can you know they're neutrally buoyant so they can stop at any depth in the water column and carry out work and um you know the propulsion units on them small jets so they can they can make good way and out, you know, out here, certainly you go five, 600 meters off the coast of the Azores and you're down to, you know, the sort of seabed is three, four kilometers down. So um, that's slightly worrying. I mean, it's all mega safe. These guys, these guys fly these things all the time, but there's still that nagging thing when you get in it, you know, like the abyss where you're just like, oh God. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just generally it's, it's, you know, we're, we're sort of following the, the advice of the scientists. You know, the idea is, is to collect as much data. The seabed is, is hardly mapped um, at all, like in any detail. So we spend, or the ship spends a lot of its time in the, at nights, you know, working night shifts. It's, it's mapping and, and scanning up and down just, and eventually these maps will be open source, you know, so that anyone can, can use them for research purposes. That's awesome, mate. Um, yeah. Two things. Congratulations. Thank you. On becoming mm. a father. And congratulations Epic. on the book as well. Yeah, thanks, dude. Two, it's been it's been a bit of a I guess this year with with um, COVID and all the rest of it, it's just been a, a sort of bit of a non-starter in lots of respects and, and bloody amazing and, and others. Fatherhood is, you know, like I spent the last four or five years traveling so much that I was never home. Um, so when lockdown sort of hit, Anna and I were both home at the same time. She's a producer and off doing different things. And uh, yeah, so um, yeah, that was, that's basically lockdown baby. So he's um, <laughs> actually, actually mate, I was, um, I don't know how I got away with this, but I was on ship uh, in the Dominican Republic when when Atlas was born. Um, yeah, I think yeah, I think yeah. After I messaged you, I think you told me actually. Yeah, so I, I, I like uh, Anna. I left Anna sort of a month before. Um, you giving... Yeah, got it. <laughs> um, <laughs> we um, we now she we, we chatted about it and and. Um, job was was already sort of in the bag contract wise and it's too much hassle to change it so we you know we we sort of honored that and um, I ended up watching her give birth 
on WhatsApp call from like somewhere off the coast of Dominican Republic. I had just been diving all morning, came out, sort of had lunch and then sort of went into the science lab and, and watched Anna give birth uh, no on WhatsApp. Way. Epic. Did you, yeah. did you get like, like what, like what, like what we, oh, it's probably too much information, isn't it? When it, yeah, one of the people in there was 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 just holding the phone and like almost interviewing Anna, chatting to Anna, how she's doing, um, blah blah blah, her birthing partner. And then like when Atlas was pulled out, sort of like spun the camera around. So I saw him immediately, and then um, yeah, super weird anticlimax. Sort of went back to my four man room and just sort of sat there for an hour <laughs> and just like, what just? I just what, had a kid. Yeah, what just happened? Um, so that was that was super cool. Um, I got back seventeen days later, and um, so I've just had two months at home with him. Um, so I, t- I tell you, the biggest complaint I had was like I got mega tendonitis from from like holding, holding him in holding him in that position. And I, no I was saying I was saying to my missus about having it, and she was like, "You literally come home three weeks after it's born, you start." dripping about having tendonitis after the first two days of hardly any holding <laughs> especially you know but, like your history like you know you yeah. shouldn't be complaining about tendonitis but it's, it's just been like it's amazing watching Anna sort of like just take to motherhood and all the rest of it and yeah, it, yeah it's been you know it's it's not massively been on my radar you know I'm 43 now and but I tell you, since you know the last couple of the last two months at home with with him's just been it's been awesome. Um, yeah. Too early to say yet whether it affects what you do at work. And you must have seen it. Yeah, I was, was going gonna, gonna to ask that um, because that's you know that's the biggest. Obviously, I'm I'm not a father, so I can't really comment on this. But um, like when I ask people who've got you know that are in situate are in jobs where there's a lot of danger involved. You know the biggest thing that that definitely, um, well, males and females, both of them say that it changes your perspective on life, and um, especially there's a lot more thought and consideration going into dangerous activities, whether it's you know I don't know motocross or yeah. you know jumping jumping out of planes or whatever that is. There's a lot, you know, there's a a definite pers- perspective shift on on that. Have you felt anything yeah. like that? I I haven't yet because I've. You know, this is the first trip that I've been away since then, um, since he's been born. But I've worked with enough blokes when they're away that have had a kid and they've sort of then been, you know, the, the perspectives change, you know, like whether it's on a tough climb or whatever it is, you know, there's the, the something changes. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm i not sure how that would, how that affects me in a way you know in the military you get kind of used to compartmentalizing don't you so I I still feel like I would be able to be effective at doing what I'm doing and making the right decisions not based on that emotional part but um you know I I guess like the 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 thing that has struck home more than anything is just that you know we in our line of work we mitigate as many of the the sort of hazards as we can and the, the risk of those hazards come into fruition right we sort of like you know you wear a helmet you wear the right kit you do this you do that you take the right weapon you know all this stuff like you're mitigating bad things happening as much as you can but you know things like car crashes and and road traffic accidents are just like you you just can't really mitigate against that and it's usually someone else's fault like foxy and i when we did the um narcos thing like both of us nearly got decapitated by this like in a in a road traffic accident uh this like massive metal shutter came flying straight off the top of a vehicle that was about to hit us he slammed on the brakes this thing came flying off the top in through there's like 20 foot long metal shot roller came through the back came through the window and like took all the headrests off oh, and it no. kind of it just kind of like stopped there Foxy and I were like shit but that's you know <laughs> that's at the end of like punchy three months worth of filming and it's like was, a road traffic accident I was um, gonna say you were like meeting up with some of the hardest you know some of the biggest gangsters in the world drug dealers like guns weapons like people threatening to kill you and then all of a sudden you get involved in an RTA and nearly lose your head 
yeah so that's that's it but i mean yeah it's been it's been a mega year with um with that with the birth and yeah the book book is out 30th of september so we're um i'm still going through and doing the final edit actually it's been good you know lockdown was was good because it gave me the chance to just like well you must know as well it's hard when you when you sit down and you've got all these stories and you try and like fit them into a book and some of the things that you think are cool and you've written up are, are not um yeah, the, just, opposite, the opposite as well yeah. right because I, I found like i've got my perception on everything right I, still now like i've got my perception in I don't know, whatever it is. And I think that something's really, I might think that something's really chad or like not as impactful as um, the person I'm telling the story to or whatever. Or an, another person might just be like, what? You did what? And, you, and yeah. you thought that was the most least impactful thing that you ever did. Yeah. I, th- I think it, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. And, and, and I guess like we, live and have lived like quite um so no i wouldn't it's it's you know it's not mainstream is it the way that we sort of have lived our lives up to this point and and i guess we kind of either take things for granted after a while or you become complacent in in that line of work that you're in um so you kind of gloss over some parts and and like you dig into the bits that you think people want to hear about but that's you know it's not it how did you how did you find the process of like getting it all on paper and getting out because i have to say i'm like i'm nervous now now that it's getting to the point of getting stuck out there and i'm thinking it's, it's weird you open yourself up to well it's, it's your life on paper and, and anyone can read about it it's quite daunting yeah yeah i kind of I made sure I forgot, like I didn't concern myself with, you know, like reactions on the book, reviews, all that kind of stuff. It was more just, I was more focused on the book and, um, you know, making sure, because it's hard, right? Because I've got a way of telling a story and I don't like over-dramatizing everything too much. I like to tell it how I want to tell it. But sometimes to, to make a story sound better, I don't know, not better than what it is, but to make it sound like a story in a book, you have to put this over over dramatization on it. And that was something I was really, really conscious about when I was writing the book, was to make it sound like it's come make it sound like I'm speaking, I'm telling that story as opposed to yeah. it being a story in a book. Yeah, um, yeah, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't want it to sound like some some fairy tale or some, I just wanted it to sound like I was sat, you know opposite someone just telling them stories of what I did so I was like yeah I was really conscious of just making sure that it sounded like my tongue um yeah then yeah like yeah, I was in quite a rush from finishing the book manu- to finishing like the final man- manuscript document to turning that into a book that was that was quite a rush period and um are you having to get it signed off by the MOD yeah so um MOD and like I didn't actually think about it at the time but yeah MOD it's only a short chapter um, or two actually is like the military part of the start and then it goes yeah. into all the other expeditions and trips and, and filming but yeah so the MOD will, will have to um, sort of verify and check and do all the stuff that they do at the start which I think will take a bit of time but um, are, you finding it, are you finding it quite quite therapeutic almost to get amazing because like, like, right? you forget half of the stuff you did. And when you're having to bring it, bring a lot of those stories out and retell them and go through them all again, you're like, well, like, I remember that bit. Or, you know, like new memories pop up that you've not thought about for years and years and years. I tell you what's what's been interesting is, um, so I've kept a dictaphone on, like, on, on loads of jobs basically for the last, like, eight or nine years. Just because I was like, at some point, I want to write a book, but like, I'm not going to sit down and write a diary every night. Yeah. So like, sat in a jungle somewhere, just whip it out. I'd just do like three minutes, did this today with this person, feel shit, you know, mega, did this, did that, whatever it is. And um, and I did it on the row, actually, when, when Foxy and I rode across the Atlantic. And it's funny what you, over the period of weeks, days, months and years you that then becomes truth and it and it's a very 
blurred line between what actually happened and how you remember it. And how you remember it's based on uh, like where you gripped at the time, were you fearful, were you in control, were, you know, and that has a, a knock-on effect to, to the parts that you remember and the parts that you forget. So like describing the capsize, for example, like Foxy and I and the team had in the middle of Atlantic at nighttime, in my head, you know, it's one thing. And then when I went back through and listened to the dictaphone things for each day, it was actually, um, it was actually more terrifying listening to the dictaphone and how calm and collected it was. And this happened, this person nearly died, did this, did that, blah, 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 blah. But then you sort of, I had remembered it in a different way that was much more romantic and heroic and, and all the rest of it. So it's, it's quite, it's been mega therapeutic to go through the process and, and just re-remember those things. Yeah, that's bizarre how like the memory just remembers something in a certain way. Um, and I found weirdly, right, I'd, I'd go to a, a part that I'd want, want to remember. And I can remember, I can remember the story like very, very broadly, but I can't remember the detail. I'm it's the same. Like I've got a flash image of what happened. And I, I'm thinking about a certain image now in my head or a certain memory now in my head. And I've got that memory in there. It's like logged in the brain, but to try and actually get the detail around what happened, like the exact detail of who was there and what was happening. I, I yeah. find like over years, I've just, I don't know, it's almost like my brain's just thrown out this irrelevant information and just kept the, the I don't know, the picture, the picture of the memory. That's it. I've got, um, I mean, it'll be in there somewhere, but I, I've just got such a, a terrible memory for like, I'll meet, I'll meet someone and they'll go, do you remember that time you did this and you said that? And, and I'm like, absolutely no idea of it. And I don't know whether that's because the sort of frenetic pace of my life, you know, up till now it's been, it's, it's been utterly frenetic. You know, we, we, you, you kind of like, you finish one job, you're onto another one, you're re-rolling your kit, re-rolling your brain, you're not processing anything from that. So you have these snapshots of a thing that happened, rock fall, I don't know, you know, someone firing a weapon at you or um, like a wild animal. They, they have these like snapshots. And then like you say, you kind of, everything else, fades to black there's, there's no it's, it's, other detail i'm i'm exactly the same aldo and right we don't live week to week day to day we don't live a very a, a normal life every day is different every week's def different every month's different so if you think you, you go out and you do a nine-to-five job you get up the, you get at the same time you have the same thing for breakfast you get on the same train you work in the same office everything's very similar so your memory looks the same throughout the week. And I find this, right? If you ask me what I did yesterday, it'd take me quite a while to actually remember. In fact, like yeah. almost almost not be able to remember. I'd have to look in my calendar or diary to see what I had on yesterday to actually actually know. Yeah, uh, I'm the same. Yeah, it's because you've got, you're moving forward that much that you've got so much going on ahead of you. You're constantly thinking of, right, what am I doing tomorrow? What am I doing next week? Like why I I wonder relevant. Like yesterday yeah, it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. But I wonder, I wonder if there's like if if you know lots of us, I know Foxy's like that as well. And you know, I wonder if it's a way of like just pushing on and getting on and getting on. You know, we don't spend a huge amount of time dwelling on what's happened or, or sort of or the present. I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh it's certainly like it has an effect on on my memory, you know, because there's you know, I've I've uh, once did this drive that went from London to Melbourne, basically. But I I did the London to Singapore stretch, and uh, there was times, you know, it's like two and a half months on the road a driving drive, overnight. Sorry, mate. A, a drive from London to Melbourne. Yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, oh, like, 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 like in a how many miles. We're banging out like nah. It wasn't fun. It was from a channel, channel four, uh, like ident thing where there was a a gold rascal. Um, it's called Hell of a Tour, but there's a you know, like a rascal van, and the tiny, yeah, yeah, tiny yeah, little, yeah. the the, and, the and, most horrible van that you could ever imagine. There's the so really there's, small. Yeah, so there's one of them with this like camper van conversion on it that these four people were were sort of traveling down to Melbourne in this in this that wagon. 
and I was running the expedition, basically the safety support from a Hilux. So I was driving the Hilux every day and it was me, a producer, director and a, a camera guy in the Hilux. And uh, we, we were basically like it took, I think, two and a half months to get down through all the stands and down into Singapore, basically. But I remember getting in places like Bishkek or whatever and, and you sort of like open the curtains at night and like you're just like, where am I? And, and like I, I got to the point where I was just like, you know, I wasn't looking at any of, you know, like the stuff you have in the hotel desk that tells you where it is. And I just opened a window where it's in China or I don't know, Kyrgyzstan or whatever. You just stand and look out the window and look at everything and just try and work out where you are, what city in China you're in. And like sometimes I genuinely stand there for minutes. No idea where I was. That's crazy. Because, <laughs> yeah, you don't have... I don't know, you don't have, like now you could probably just turn your phone on, right? And just like figure out where yeah. you are or where's yeah, like um, you've been mate, you've been literally like all over the world. Literally all over the world. Is there is there anywhere that you've not been or anything that you've not done that you'd want to? Yeah. Yeah, look, since I've been a kid, mate, and you'll you'll Laugh at this. Since I could be naked, I wanted to climb Preston. Everest just because. Yeah, yeah, Preston. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I wanted since a kid, I've wanted to do um, to climb Everest, and you know, yeah. having you know, and and it's it's a funny one because it it doesn't hold the same as it did when I was a kid that I wanted to do it for for probably different reasons, more macho bravado reasons when I was younger, you know, than it is now, but. You know the high mountains of the Himalayas. I'd, I'd love to do more, and um, but I've I'd love to go to Patagonia. Never been. Um, that's like up on the list. Antarctica up on the list, um, and Alaska, I reckon. But it's you know it's I'd love to do it for my for myself as opposed to sort of yeah. filming or, or that sort of thing. So um, yeah, but yeah, you I'm, do I'm, you, you like I'm. Like I'm one of those people. It's like I don't have places. I don't have places specifically that I, that I want to go and tick off boxes. But I have things that I want to do in those places. Like I'd yeah. love to go. I'd love to go on a you know a solid, you know, week or two weeks heli skiing trip in Alaska. Oh, mate, that's yeah, that's a dream, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that'd be that'd be gold standard for me. That's 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 a box ticker. I'd love to go to the poles, but again like the logistics that it takes to get there and I, I yeah. think I might I think I might get bored I know yeah I, I mean for me that's that's the same what I find amazing is like with with travel you know we are have been living in this golden age you know we're probably only the second generation of people that can say that they've traveled the world extensively um you know back in the day in, in the 1600s when you were a privateer on board a ship you know you would do one or two voyages in your life that you might get down the coast of Africa or across to South America or wherever um but like you know we can literally go from the North Pole to Everest South Pole you know far Southeast Asia Australia you know you can do it in a year yeah um it was crazy but, uh, how easy you could travel right yeah I, I remember sitting on the beach with um Anna just it would have been just two years ago and we were in Crete, a place called Lutro in Crete, and there's loads of old World War II sort of relics down there. And um, I think the Germans occupied Crete uh, down that neck of the woods. And I was saying to Anna, like, we're in golden days, you know, just being able to mm -hmm. jump in a plane, head down there. And it was bizarre because it was probably about a year bef just before the, the whole sort of lockdown sort of thing happened. And, you know, you, you could literally travel unchecked and have been able to travel, you know, unchecked for for years but I, I think we're lucky in that you know to have seen with our own eyeballs the desert the jungle the high mountains you know most you know I think most people over the years would have seen one of these places or it would have been their life's visit but um what's what's your favorite environment for for working in mm. or <laughs> mm. um do you know what I, do, I tend not to keep favorites I have good I have things that I like about certain environments that you don't get in other environments, right? For example, 
you know, I, I enjoy working in them all. Like the Arctic's obviously my bag. I've got the most experience in the Arctic or, or snow or mountain conditions. Um, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed the desert. And I, yeah. I enjoyed the jungle. I enjoy like the, the vastness of the jungle and the fact that you will not see anyone for, for a lot of time and you, you pretty much have to be self-sufficient and yeah. swimming in rivers at the end of the day before you get in, a ha- in your hammock feels good, right? Yeah, love it. I, I reckon, like, if you can, I've always thought if you can work in in the jungle, then you can pretty much work anywhere. You know, it's like it's that admin, isn't it, of keeping all your shit together and keeping everything that needs to be dry, dry, and, you know, the stuff that's wet, it's wet, and, you know, then just your body being eaten away to bits or rotted to bits as you go. Yeah. And if, if I always feel like, you know, if you can, if you can operate or work in that environment, then it's all transferable everywhere else. Yeah, it's just hard trying to like relate to people how, how hard the, the jungle is to operate in. And I remember like finishing selection in uh, in uh, in the jungle, and you you like that literally you finish, you come back into camp, and you know you've been wearing these pants for literally four weeks in the jungle, sweating in them. And obviously, like you said, there you've got a set of wet and a set of dry pants. So the dry pants you get into in the evening, you literally wear whilst you're sleeping, and that's it. And the wet pants. You wear, are you working pants? You wear them all throughout the day. You do everything in them, sweat, toilets, the lot. And you take these like crispy, like things off that are just one color. And I just remember looking at my legs and I don't think you could see a, I don't think you could have got my thumb on my leg and have a bare patch of skin that wasn't covered in a bite or a scratch or a cut or a, I don't know. They're mainly bites, right? Just yeah. legs covered in this, these red blotches and worms and all kind of. Actually, actually, I don't want to go back to the jungle. I'm fine without it. That just reminded me. <laughs> <laughs> but you're like yeah. literally sleeping on. You literally sleeping on the floor for seven days at the end of the exercise. Like every night, you weren't even in a hammock. I remember yeah. waking up. I remember waking up one night, Aldo, and. Um, we, we were sleeping on the floor and I woke up and I was like, I was feeling my lip and I was like, hell, I was like, I must've been bit by something because it felt like my lip had swollen. And I started feeling it and it was a leech and it had literally stuck to the, to the top of my lip and just sat there growing and growing and growing. And I, literally <laughs> this, I literally had this pouty duck lip that was a leech. Yeah. They're, they're actually, that's the, that's the one thing that people, worry most about is leeches and it's it's usually the least offensive of all the things that, yeah, that you can fine. have yeah they, have you had any have you had any bad experiences in uh in any of the environments with, you've been in? with the old um I th- i'm trying to think of like i guess it's my job to always try and make it safe like the hardest part yeah the hardest part when you have a film crew and like that's the, the interesting thing is is looking after film crews in, in these environments and when I sort of started doing this work I was like I've been in the Marines like a mega um yeah you know, like yeah. A, yeah, yeah I'm like I'm, I'm, obvi- I'm, I'm obviously so mega. I'm under pressure yeah. like, I'm, so I'm, like I'm, I'm, I'm obviously mega like I've been in the Marines and I've done this and I'm and then I, I get to work with like my first film crew was in um inside a volcano and I just like when I started working with them. Yeah, I started working with them, and I was just like, I literally have done nothing with my life. And you know, you know what it's like from filming. You know, these guys are filming everything that we are doing, running backwards. You know, the producers, the directors, like they're they're all there. And actually, you know, I was kind of like ended up being humbled in a way. You know, I'm not a mega ego dude anyway sort of you know I was saying that I thought I was mega, but like inside I thought well I've done everything. You know and and then you go there and these guys are just like operating in the jungle, no military experience, but they're like, they're doing all the, the same shit that we would have done, you know, like yeah. wet and dry routine. And uh, so it was quite good, you know, being sort of schooled in that way that, that actually we're not all, always all that. The, uh, the, the man behind the camera doesn't get enough credit, does he? Um, he is. Yeah, he, I mean. You pick up the weight of one of those cameras and he is, like you said, right, he's literally doing everything that, that you're doing and we're doing at the same time yet he's carrying that big lump and it might and it's probably going to be cold right 
he's not wearing gloves because he's having to move stuff on the camera so his fingers are numb it's usually you know it's usually hammering it down with rain like they're solid guys they're the ones that I've worked in the past and and they've I mean that's the thing with all of them you know they're doing an incredibly technical job and creative so they're not just like point and shoot you know that all the guys that I've worked with you know in these environments and you're you know you're doing a I'm doing a 10 hour slog through the jungle, you know, to get to somewhere with cave paintings, you know, and it's taken us three weeks to get there. I'm hanging out. The camera guy's hanging out as well, but he's still got a job to do. I just need to hang out my ass on camera and, and, and be, tell you how, how hard it is, but he's actually, <laughs> he's actually got to like keep his camera dry, change lenses, do all that stuff. And you know, he when can't he can't move. do it, he can't nah, he's not allowed either, to, right? not yeah. allowed to. And, uh, and it's the same, like, when you watch them, you know, and diving stuff and, you know, all the stuff that we've just, or will be doing on this. And, you know, the guys are in the water diving with with big predators. And not that that's an issue, you know, that's their, their normal bag. But it was good in a way when I switched into this line of work, I actually sort of was was humbled by by how hard working these guys are. And that's why, actually, is that, you know, a lot of people say there's no sort of similarities between television work in the military but I think it's you know the, the transferable stuff that you take from the military into television you know you're working in small groups often under tight deadlines extreme conditions remote places um all, and everyone's pushing to get the job done and it's so I find it it's like it's pretty similar but um yeah you, like you find like you find yeah you um you find there's a big similarity in that in that sense but you also find because of that there's the similarities in other senses, like sense of humor, like, like you know, the the whole taking the piss kind of, um, yeah. like the the sense of humor is very similar in in the TV world. I find. Yeah, and it I guess it kind of has to be. You know, the the expeditions that Steve Backshaw and I did his expedition series. You know, we did ten world first expeditions back to back in 11 months you know so it was like four weeks in mexico back for a few days out to greenland for a month back for a few days out to oman for three weeks you know so we were just like crunching through these these expeditions and you know the the steve camera guys the producers directors everyone that's on the ground is just getting you know run into the ground and it's you know it's hard work and they've got to continually think about the story and where this fits in and what they need to get and you know when I'm switching my light out in my hammock at night you know you can still see that they've got the lights on and they're charging batteries and downloading data and so yeah it's it's uh it's pretty epic but I mean yeah they you know all the all the crazy stuff that we've done you know that we could talk about in, in tv terms you know there's a crew that's always there you know you've always got that camera guy and the sound guy that are they're filming it in the same rockfall area as you or in the volcano or wherever it is, you know, it's it's um yeah, it's pretty mad stuff. Mate, I, one thing I want to talk about, because I'm super interested in it, was the Atlantic Row. Yeah, yeah. That is yeah, it's is uh, is, it's, is that right? Would you do it again? Uh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Would you? I don't, you know, like how long did it take? Like, when was it? Right, it's like four. We or five, we we finished day? sixteen. Uh, I'm counting on my hand. Five years. Um, <laughs> yeah, five years ago we um, we finished it. How long did it taken for you to turn around and say that you do it again? Yeah, probably five years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what, mate? Like with the with the row, it's, you know, right, so it's five of us. We rode from, you know, Foxy was on board, Team Essence, and we rode from mainland Europe to mainland South America, and it's, we're the first team to, to sort of do it. Um, everything, uh, you know, it, there was no one specific part of it that was very, very hard. You know, I, I firmly believe that anyone can do it. It's just whether people would want to do it and then how long they would last um, doing it but it's like you know the rowing you, you row for two hours on and then two hours off and then that's it you know for us that was 50 days you know there's no real sort of rest there um it's a it's a feat of of endurance and and just like 
parking your brain. And if you're anything like me and your brain's like a million miles an hour, it was A, difficult and B, good to just concentrate on like what you were doing right there, right there. I mean, it was like a, having your mindfulness arse handed to you yeah. um, for the first time, you know, you're sort of... Yeah, because there's I'm, nothing else around, right? You are literally like, there's, there's zero distraction. It's not like you can pick up your phone or you can watch a movie. It is... It is literally two hours of, of, of rowing. And then I guess that two hours that you spent off, you, you're resting, right? Eating, administrating yourself. That was my phone just went there. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah, good, good. Yeah. Um, in in, um, in a 24-hour cycle, you're, you're two hours on, two hours off. But you really only sleep in the nighttime set of two hours. Yeah. So, so in a twenty-four hour sort of shift or, or or stint, you'll probably have four hours where you would probably sleep because it's sort of nighttime. And of that four hours, you know, you you got to get into your cabin. You got to get dry. You got to sort your kit out. You got to do your admin, clean yourself, clean because the salt absolutely obliterates like any parts of your skin that are touching. So you got to do like 20 minutes, half an hour of admin when you finish your shift. And then depending on where you are in the Atlantic, uh, you know, if it's cold, you got to put all your kit back on when you come back out, tether on to. So really that that two hours off is is not two hours off. Um, and so by the time you get into a routine of it, you're still, you know, you, your sort of admin is spread out through the day and you sort of like take, take bits here and there. Um, you know bits of rest but generally um can you hear that is my phone ringing no 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 that's all right um generally it's just it's just hard it's hard work but like let's say the row you know you, you sit in the thing and, and all you got to do is is that really is that, is like, that, is that hard is that hard physically because a row like the only row i've done is on a row machine and that's yeah. hard physically yeah i couldn't I would imagine say doing the, that for two hours I would say the erg is harder than than rowing on the boat because, like, maybe I'm talking absolute shit here, but when, when I did the row, um, I had like 45 minutes rowing experience in the in the um, in the rowing boat. That was it. No I just I had such a busy schedule. I was in Venezuela yeah. for five weeks and I was doing that drive. I just had loads of stuff on, and um. But when you when you sit down and you you row like two of you row or one of you row, you know rarely does it ever happen that both your rows go in at the same time and you get a perfect stroke and it's all about position and it's literally like survival. You know you're getting smashed around by swell, wind blown waves, tide, whatever it is, um, and you're kind of just like you kind of just are generally going in the right direction, but slowly sometimes you get one oar in, sometimes you get two in. And if you do hit a super flat bit of water that, that you can actually get a good rhythm up or a good stroke in, sometimes it's like treacle and it's, it's much worse than, you know, if you've got one or two in, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it was an exercise in sort of just, just like grafting and, and not looking too far into the future. You know, we, it took us seven, seven and a bit weeks or something. And, and when I say we we rode across Atlantic, like when you leave Lagos in Portugal and you end up in Venezuela and we pass like Canary Isles and Cape Verde, you don't see them. It's not like you stop in and jump out and shake out and spend the night. Like you, when you leave Portugal, you don't see land again until you're basically in Venezuela, which is, you know that's that I love that feeling of being out in the open ocean and you're yeah. you're pretty small. You know you're very small um, in that boat. But I, yeah, I, I still have a I still would quite like to. I don't know if I'd like to do it, but you know there's a part of my brain that's like, could I do it solo? Um, you fat really solo? And would and would I want to do it solo? That's the other thing. You know, yeah. Do you find it's all right doing these things where you've, where you've find the older Sorry, you, you get and the, yeah do you find the older that you get and the less tolerant you are to this kind of stuff or or, or the more picky you are yeah i think thing. it's i think it's that and you know stage of life you get to you kind of yeah. also look at you know you kind of look at what's the 
what the risk reward in you know when you're potentially younger um and less issue uh, less of that responsibilities you know you take more risk more chance um whereas whereas now you know seven eight weeks is a long time to be away if you know if i suppose i suppose it's yeah it's about risk reward isn't it at the end of the day are you thinking about yeah. would you do it uh like if you'd have asked me five years ago out of out of a hundred percent a hundred percent said yes i think now uh, i don't know I don't know if I one. I don't know if I've got fifty days time to take myself out rowing the Atlantic, and two. I just I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if like you said, right? The risk versus reward. I think I think when I was younger, I'd throw myself into anything because I just enjoyed the experience of whatever it was I was doing, whether it was adventure or military or 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 whatever it was. Right? I enjoyed that experience, and I still enjoy experiences. But I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm probably. Can I, am I right to say I'm getting soft? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't think you get. Uh, your experiences change, and for me, I'm, I'm finding that I get a lot more energy from. I don't know, like doing different things, and like I even found writing a book was an adventure or an experience that I enjoyed, and. You know, all the things that I've done since leaving the military, I'm, I'm now finding that I get just as much fun and enjoyment from them than I did from doing the expeditions on Everest. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, like I'm racing cars now and I'm getting so much, I'm getting such a buzz from that. I'm like, so I've got all these races. Could I now take the time out to go and climb Everest to K2? And I'm like, well, I'll miss a couple of races and, and that's fun. Yeah. So, I think, I think, I mean, the racing, we'll chat about that in a minute, sounds amazing, but I think you, I, th- I think like for me, certainly at 43, um, I need to be much more picky. Like you don't, you don't bounce back from making the wrong decisions at yeah. 43 as you did when you're 23, right? So taking two months out to do something has to be, for me, has to, you know, have specific <clears throat> points that, that, you know, that are, that are worthwhile doing um five years ago i was in a very different place and you know i think everyone on that boat was sort of running away from something um yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it turns, t- turns out when you're on a boat that small the demons come with you like you're not getting yeah. away from it <laughs> it's like the worst place ever yeah like, you run yeah. away from like no access but, to anyone else like yeah but um, I, I think, you know, it has to be much more. And like you say, like the racing, you know, it's that must be amazing. And you get the same buzz. It's it's quicker, but you're also like progressing. You know, the, yeah. you're, you're sort of, it's, like, it's like I always liken it to when I was in the military. You know, I, I only did 10 years, but that that time you're always like, we've got this on and then that's to prepare you for that. And then we do that and then you're ready, you know, and you're, you're chasing that thing. Um and I think that's like with the racing, that surely must be what it's like where you're, you're sort of in the moment you've got like race, you're learning, love that, like learning a new skill thing. Yeah. Same. Yeah. That's probably where I was getting to with the experiences. Like I get such a massive kick from seeing that I'm progressing in something and whether yeah. it's, you know, racing cars, whether it's, whether it's with surfing, you can see that progression and you can see, you can see the result of how much time and energy that you're putting into it. You can see that result physically and you yeah. get the feeling back from that result too, because you might do, you, you know, you might perform a different, you might perform something you've never performed on a wave or, or do a turn you've never turned. It might be like, that's the, that's the best feeling in the world. Right. Same with racing. It's when you're seeing, you're physically seeing, right. Your time's getting, uh, getting uh, lower and lower and lower that's an instant feedback for me to go, yeah, I'm actually, I'm getting better at this. But that's, I think that's, that's the point there is that you've channeled all of your years of experience and, and um, life into that one thing, let's say it's racing or surfing. Whereas, you know, for me, for many years, I was a jack of all trades, you know, I could climb fairly decent. I could paddle (laughs) all, all right. I could skydive all right. I could dive all, but I never, focused my attention everything pinpoint onto to one thing and it's you know it's amazing that when you do start to do that when you find a passion and then you start to direct everything 
to it, it's then amazing how quickly you become successful at it. And uh, I just find that, I mean, it's amazing, but it's also... I'm like you though, Aldo. I'm, I'm like you. I need that variety because I'll, yeah. I'd, get, I'd get bored just doing one thing over and over again. Yeah, with that, but that's a good thing is that having these, I, I guess over the years I've sort of fine-tuned mine down into probably a few things that I like doing, where it's climbing, diving, um, and the expedition. So, so I kind of have become better at those things, and, and a lot of the other things have sort of just flown by the wayside. But it's funny, yeah. like you sort of, I was going to say, you kind of like, like for me, I associate as being a climber, right? because that's what I've always done as, since yeah, I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wear all the climbing gear and the shoes. <laughs> and I'm like, when was the last time I actually climbed something? It's been like two years ago. Yeah, uh, but then you look but, at people that are just literally living and breathing climbing, and they're like, they're sending some routes that, I don't know, I wouldn't have even looked at when I was climbing. Yeah, they're doing it in jeans. Um, I was away with... Uh, Leo Holding last year, at the end of last yeah. year, and just um, made, we did this uh, route in Oman, and it's just amazing watching someone that's like, they're in a state of flow, you know, when you find something that you like and you're passionate about, and you, you know, you, you, you watch them, they're just in a state of flow, which is, yeah. which is amazing, and that comes, I guess, through finding that thing and then dedication. Yeah, no shortcuts, really. Nah, have you, yeah. um, is, there, is, there, is there anything out there, like, um like hobby wise or or um hobbies probably not the, the right word learning a new skill or um a new sport or whatever that is that you've never done that you that you'd want to do i just you... started last year um doing paramotoring yeah i've um, seen that i i always wanted you know like personal flight is amazing and it's relatively cheap compared to any other version of sort of personal flight and i, I never I never sort of had the time, money, or, or sort of um, interest really in learning how to paraglide. But then the, you know, the the advent of like parajet and the kit and the paramotors, you know, it, it can be quite easy. You know, ten days I was learning to fly, and and it, and it was always a bit that I enjoyed most at the end of a skydive, mainly because I was shitting myself. But like once you get under canopy, and you're like, right, it's fine. Right now I can enjoy it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that paramotoring kind of opened up this new, I haven't done loads of it, but it's something I want to get more into doing like point to point or expedition stuff where you just have like a little bivy bag and you choose a route and just, yeah, bosh it out. But um, yeah, that's that's up there. And um, I don't know whether everything needs to go on hold for a bit with uh, now that Atlas has arrived. I might need to yeah, wind yeah, my yeah, neck yeah. in on. <laughs> yeah, you just like <laughs> lifting loads of stuff up. Like, yeah, yeah. Being a father, I need to. Uh, yeah, 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 I need to. But you've got, going back, that. going back to that though. You've got. I don't. It's. It's. I don't, I don't, again, I'm not a father, right? But it's finding that, that fine balance of. You don't want to quit at all because you'll not be the guy that you were before you had that kid, and you want that kid to see that guy, because yeah. you know they obvious. They're obviously looking at you, and they're absorbing everything that you that you do. And if you were to just stop everything that you know, that made Aldo Kane who Aldo Kane is today, then, you know, it's you, so you, true. You, you turn into a couch potato or whatever. And it's like, you don't want your kid to see that. You want your kid to be inspired by what you're doing, right? Go out and it's, yeah. do, if it's not the same as what you're doing, do whatever he's passionate about. It's so true. You know, we, uh, you know, some people that would look on the outside thinking, you know, I wasn't there for the birth, but I want to be there for the life of him, not just, the birth but what a story to tell Atlas, right? Yeah. Where were you, where were you on the birth of, uh, of birth of me? <laughs> Bailed out. But, yeah. um, but 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 I think that's you know that's that's the point you know and and there's there's a lot to be said for working away for a chunk of time and then having a chunk of time off because when I'm home for three weeks, four weeks, two months, I'm home and I'm like I'm present. That's what I'm doing. And, and, you know, if there's a lot of people who, who can probably relate to this that, that have a nine to five job, they get home at night and their kids in bed when it comes to the weekend and knackered and they don't do the cool things that they might have wanted to do with the kids just because life is hectic and busy. So um, and I guess it's the same in relationships I've learned over the years that trying to manipulate myself and my life to please other people just 
ultimately ends up in in a disaster for me you know it, it ends up in a in in like you know you you're not your best version of yourself you're not i'm not i'll look in if i'm not being true to what excites me and my passion and when i'm in full flow and and passion with adventure and exploring and all that sort of stuff then that's the best version of me and that's you know when i come home that's who i am um so i think yeah i think it's it'll be it'll be a, a juggling sort of I guess it'll be a juggle to try and work out how to make it work, but it certainly won't be stopping me in my tracks because that's that's who I am. Yeah, no, Doc, may I res- resonate with you totally. It's it's the same on my side. Like, I don't, we, you know, we've got the military probably to thank for that, right? For kickstarting yeah. us into that kind of life because you know you you're constantly away, and then you come back and you've got whether it's a weekend, whether it's a week's leave or or two weeks leave to spend with whether it's a girlfriend or or whoever right and i i prefer that like i prefer that kind of life because you know even now you're going off doing all the stuff that you love doing that give you energy and make you happy and make you who you are today and then you could like like what you said right you come back and you've had that separation as well right so that guy yeah. who's doing a nine to five job he's just looking at his kid every night and it's like you know he's dropping poos and he's changing nappies and all that kind of stuff I guess there's there's opportunity there to build up some sort of like you know resentment's probably a, a too strong a word but complacency of you just expect to see your kid or your girlfriend or your wife or your husband yeah every, every time that you come back from work whereas you have that separation it's like I bet now you, you're missing him so much that you just can't wait to get back and, and see I think there's uh, this and, and Anna yeah, it's there's there's uh, there's that, and I guess there's like similar to that. There's also taking things for granted that you know, and it doesn't suit everyone, right? This is yeah. my life and the, the way that it suits me. But you know, coming back from somewhere where you can't turn on the tap and get water, or you have to filter it because if you drank it, you'd probably get very sick, or um, you know, you don't you don't have to have a fire every night to keep warm, or you know, the basics of survival that we take for granted: food, water, shelter. I love coming back from a trip and like coming home and just like turning the tap on, yeah. you know, and that is, it's, it's the same thing, right. With your relationships and the things that you take for granted. So with my line of work and you, you'll be able to relate to it is that you, you kind of, you, you're almost always in a honeymoon period. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it, it can last years. It just keeps everything fresh and moving and exciting. And, and if you're, away getting new experiences and learning that should be bolstering your relationships with other people and other things if you know if that makes sense god that went deep (laughs) 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 i I could chat to you for hours aldo but i'm conscious that we've both got lives lives to live external from this podcast (laughs) yeah Thank totally you very much, dude, for yeah, for having me on, mate. It's been it's been mega catching up with you, actually, mate. We need to catch up for a beer when I get back. Because I was actually thinking the last time I saw you was was um oh, what it was it was an event. In was London. it Nim? Was it Nimsy's thing? Yeah, that was it. Yeah, it was that Nimsy's. Was, that was easy a year and a half ago. So let's Mad. when you're back, let's get out for a beer in London, definitely. Skip get beers, mate. Thank you so much, dude. That was wicked. Mate, it's been a it's been a pleasure. And um, mate, obviously, when's your book out? September. Life, life on the edge. Yeah, so, September, um, September thirtieth. Yeah, so yeah, lessons from the edge. Yeah, September thirtieth. Lessons from the edge. Aldo Cade, pleasure, mate. Appreciate it. Boom. Cheers, dude. Thank you. Cheers, Aldo, mate. Appreciate that, buddy. Thanks to our sponsors, Harley Davidson, who have helped make this latest adventure possible. Check them out at harley slash davidson.com or give at harley underscore uki a follow on twitter thank you